Welcome back, everyone, to the second episode of the New New Englanders. I'm Connor. And I'm Sarah. And we're here to share some of New England's best music, arts, and subcultures that are new with you. Today, we'll be talking to Davis Cornette, a local Connecticut person, my friend, who leads a Bellagarth medieval combat group in Connecticut. But for now, we're going to get into some news. New news with the New New Englanders. So, it seems like we have a little bit of a, of a theme in this week's news. It seems like we're starting out with just some news about fuzzy friends. Uh, some <laughs> news about critters. So I'll start off with uh, yesterday, August 21st in West Hartford, at Beachland Park, they hosted their annual Pooch Plunge. This takes place every year at seemingly the end of the season for this water park, and they invite the pooches to enjoy a day. It's the pooches' turn to enjoy. <laughs> we'll definitely have some images of this event available on our Instagram. I want to see. Yeah. All right. Well, in Gardiner, Maine, which is pretty funny because Gardiner is also Connor's last name. It's true. An entire flock of sheep uh, escaped from their hen, their little fenced-in area. This was last week that this happened. But it, an entire flock, meaning 91 of them. Um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so they they got out in the early morning, like 6 a.m., and all the neighbors were, like, calling the people who own the sheep freaking out because there's just, like, sheep wandering into their yards, like, huge groups. And the guy who owns the sheep thinks that there's one sheep that's leading this escapade because he did last time. I don't know how they proved that, <laughs> but this time they had him actually like fenced in in a different area. So they have no idea how the other sheep like actually got out considering that he was the bad guy. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's that's my, my short story today. You know... The funny thing is anyone I know or have spoken to that has, like, farm animals, they always seem to have one that they think is evil. Like, <laughs> without fail, they always have the one that they're like, that's that's bastard, and he breaks everyone else out. Yeah, they said here that, like, as with any group, there's a ringleader. <laughs> right. And this one was Mo. Wow. The sheep. Now, Mo is placed in solitary confinement, as they say. And they called him a repeat offender. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so I guess that's what happens to sheep when they escape. Yeah, guess so. <laughs> All right. Well, for my second story today, I bring you a heartwarming one, which is the tag on the news website. So this is also based in Maine in a town called St. Albans. It is about a cat named Delilah that snuck into her owner's car when they were on a road trip across the country to go to an uh, an air festival in Wisconsin, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which is where the brand Oshkosh Bagosh first started. I had to look that up because I wanted to know. Hmm. Anyway, so this family like leaves. They're in their camper. It's like the whole family is going out there, and they stop at a rest stop, I think, to stay overnight, and they open the pop-up up, and the cat is there. Wow. And they had no idea. Like, they left the house. They had no idea that the cat was there. And then they were like, well, shit, I guess, like, we have our cat now. Because <laughs> um, they're, like, halfway to their destination. So they, like, picked up all their stuff and whatever. And so this happened last year for the 2022 one. And so this year for the 2023 air show, they actually intentionally brought the cat this time. Because I guess last year the cat became kind of like a celebrity mm -hmm. to the point where... One of the um, air sky riders, like the guys in the planes who make like art out of the smoke coming out of their planes, drew a cat in the sky for the cat. Wow. And they even like raised money to buy a brick, like a memoriam brick to put there for the cat, which has the drawing that the sky rider made on it. How did this cat win the hearts and minds of this festival so quickly? <laughs> I think that they just had like probably posted about it online and it was one of those like probably morning talk shows that was like, look at this heartwarming story. And then everyone was like, oh my gosh. And probably not a lot of people bring their pets to this thing. 
But it seems like it's kind of like a you bring your camper or you bring a tent and you like stay there for however many days. It's an air show? Yeah, where they like show like new planes and stuff, I guess. That does seem like not an ideal festival to bring a pet to. That seems no. like something that would usually really stress an animal out. Yeah, but the cat is very cute. Definitely will share pictures of this. Looks a bit of like an older cat. Like she just kind of looks like she looks kind of freaked out in all these pictures, but I don't think that she's actually scared. I think that she just kind of looks like that. Some cats just have that face of yeah. just perpetual fear. Yeah. Um, there is a photo of her with a bearded dragon, which is someone else's bearded dragon that they brought to meet her, which I think is really cute. But yeah, they raised they raised almost $700 to buy the brick. And then they paid another like $700 themselves to get the brick there, which just seems like a lot of money for a brick. <laughs> but I, I think it's it's cute. It's worth it. I just love it. She's a, she's a big fluffy orange cat wow. named Delilah. That's great. Mm-hmm. So here, here's my last story. Uh, unfortunately, this doesn't include any furry friends at all. This is a strange one. So this happened in Massachusetts in Kingston. Sarah, do you know that area? Mm, not familiar. So the police of Kingston have been after a villain now for some time since this last winter. Uh, this is a person who's damaged at least 11 cars they have the same MO for each car damaging situation. Why are you laughing? Which, well, <laughs> I'm laughing because what, what's been happening is someone's been placing large rocks somewhere between 15 to 50 pounds each on Pembroke Street in Kingston, Massachusetts. And they place these rocks in the middle of the street to where a car will pass over it and it just completely rips out the bottom of it. They know this has happened to at least 11 cars. It got It's happened frequently enough to the point where the police of Kingston camped out in the woods along that stretch of road in full camouflage on Monday, August 21st, and waited for it to happen again. And while they were hiding in the woods, a detective watched a car stop in the road, open its trunk, someone take out a rock, put it in the middle of the road, <laughs> and then drive off. They followed the car, essentially around the corner, onto Reed. So this is like, literally, they go around the corner and stop at where this car had parked, and then investigate the person who they watched do this, who denied everything. <laughs> but they found enough inconsistencies in his story to where they arrested this person and have them on bond and everything else. But what really kills me about this is that the article specifically mentions how he was on his porch about 10 minutes later and that his home was also one of the few in the area where he can witness the crashes. <laughs> so... Whoever this is has been, has made a hobby out of driving onto this oh stretch of road, dropping off a massive rock, driving back to his porch, and then sitting there and just watching and waiting until it rips out the bottom of someone's car. That's just like evil, but wholesome in a sense of just like, you're not technically hurting someone you are ruining their car well I, I don't know if i'd even go that far though because apparently the damage has been bad enough to some of these cars that it's even deployed airbags oh my god okay that is bad yeah it says that it, multiple cars have had their undercarriages completely ripped out that so we put some serious rocks in this road that's like sadistic almost <laughs> It really is in a in a very weird car centric way. <laughs> I wonder if he has something like I wonder if he's like people are speeding on this road and this will teach them a lesson. Like I wonder if it's like an old grumpy man or something that's doing it for that reason. He is thirty one years old. Oh, so he could definitely. I mean, thirty one's. I mean, that's not what I was old. thinking. No, it's not. Thirty one is thirty one's not old I enough kid, I kid. to be. I mean. I guess any age is old enough to be mad about someone speeding if it's like you don't like it. I guess what is the minimum age to be crotchety, to be defined <laughs> as crotchety? Um, I think that it could be 30. <laughs> I think that it could even be 
like 25 if you try hard enough yeah maybe whatever his motive is he does like to watch it happen <laughs> he does yeah like i find that very to get funny. a window seat <laughs> to see these cars just get absolutely totaled because he puts rocks in them but also my question is is he doing this at just like a certain time of night to where these rocks are invisible because we're talking about a 50 pound rock sitting in the road well that's what makes me think that people are just speeding down the street right so they are they aren't they're driving too fast and they can't see it i'm gonna have to check this out on google maps and see like is it maybe you're coming around a bend too fast or something maybe this is his sort of yeah. uh, vigilante justice my question is where is he getting the rocks <laughs> also a good question but this definitely qualifies him as a serial car murderer because he's done this <laughs> at least 11 times yeah so i wonder what was he charged with do you know he was charged with 11 counts of malicious damage to a motor vehicle and nine counts of attempting to commit malicious damage to a motor vehicle. Okay. I didn't know that that was a crime. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but I didn't know that that was like the word for it. I didn't know if it was going to be like vandalism or something. He's probably in the exact same position right now as we speak. He probably also did not know that that was a <laughs> uh, specific law that could be broken. True. But th this has all happened in the past 24 hours because this Wait, stakeout what? only happened. Yeah, at the time we're recording this, this stakeout happened last night. What? Oh, yeah. I need, <laughs> we need to get updates next time. Exactly. We'll, we'll definitely have updates for this in the future. But yeah, 11 cars. That's a lot. And That's he's nuts. seemingly watched every single <laughs> one happen. I just imagine him like sitting out on his porch and like drinking a beer chain smoking cigarettes yep. doing some like crossword puzzles or something and every time he sees like the headlights of a car coming down the street he looks up and he like waits in anticipation i have to wonder if the police spoke to him prior to their stakeout because like they said it's one of the only houses with any sort of view of the road so i have to wonder if ahead of time they ask this guy like have you seen anything going on oh my you know? god true i can't imagine the first thing they did was the stakeout the camouflage <laughs> stakeout i also do wonder too if he's like one of the only ones that can actually view it how he came up with the idea if it was just him like chilling and then being like hmm what if i did that like i would be able to see it like he's just like insane he's just demented <laughs> twisted mind we'll we'll always be left asking for the motive yeah i need car. to see i need to hear the uh the court proceedings <laughs> we'll be there the <laughs> we'll be reporting live unfortunately the recording of this podcast has ultimately made us ineligible for the jury <laughs> for yeah this, probably you're right crime but we also don't live in massachusetts that's also <laughs> also a detail that makes us ineligible. <laughs> uh, yeah, moving well, on. <laughs> well, that's all we got for our news today. Uh, now on to our main subject. We'll be interviewing Davis Cornett, who I mentioned before, who runs a Bellagarth medieval combat group in central Connecticut. He's one of my friends. I've attended two of the practices now. He does them on Saturdays at noon in Norton Park in Plainville. There's about, you know, a couple a couple regular people who attend. Uh, we're all there in good fun. I have had a good time. I've only actually competed, quote unquote, once. It was this past weekend. It was my only time actually like holding the sword. And and to be clear, this is medieval combat with foam wrapped weapons and shields. Mm. Davis can go into more depth as to maybe how these are made, but yeah, it is very fun. It is very tiring. It is definitely a workout. You're using your entire body. I mean, like you're running at people and trying to hit them. So definitely a workout. I was pretty winded after trying to fight one of my friends, but we'll go more into detail on the rule set of the game, the basic rules and the history and everything with Davis. So stay tuned for that. Before we talk to Davis, I was wondering, Sarah, what were your results like? Anybody oh, uh, you give the beat down to? No, we, me and my, <laughs> my other friend, Sarah, just kind of casually fought each other. We didn't, we didn't really go all out because neither of us had done it before. So she was actually kind of just chasing me with the sword outstretched in front of her as I was running backwards and mm. kept saying, I don't think that this is allowed. <laughs> <laughs> But we were we were really just having fun. I mean, watching them too, it's funny. Like 
watching Davis and a few of the other people who come regularly and do it regularly fight it looks like so easy but once you're actually doing it it's kind of like oh i've never actually had to coordinate every single part of my body at the same time but it's fun i'm definitely gonna keep going whenever i can sounds great so let's talk to davis let's talk to davis you are now on the new new englanders hotline Welcome, Davis. Thank you so much for joining us. You're our first ever guest on the TNNE pod, and uh, we're really thankful to have you here. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to, I don't know, like talk about foam fighting. This is the first time someone's ever hit me up and been like, yo, what the fuck is this shit? So I'm (laughs) We're very excited to hear. Thank you, guys. Well, first up, why don't you give us like a definition of what Belagarth means? Like, what is that word? So... Belagarth is a, I mean, to put it in like technical terms, like words, it's a full contact medieval combat sport. That's what it is. It's separate from LARP, but adjacent to it, if that makes any gotcha. sense. Word. So That's you're not, so you're not dressing up to do this. So no, I mean, not for practices. So like at national events, so I mean, the entire structure of Belagarth or other adjacent combat games is what we call them, or war games, as some people say. You dress up for national events, um, which are held at certain parts throughout the year. They're usually like weekend events or even week long events. But mostly for practices, you just show up in like athletic gear or, you know, you can show up in cargo shorts or jeans. It doesn't matter. But essentially, the idea is that it's more of a sport than it is a LARP. So it's not modeled like most LARPs are, whereas they're modeled after Dungeons and Dragons and like tabletop games where you play a role and you play a character. It's more so that you're based off your physical athletic merit. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And just for people who are listening who may not know, LARP stands for live action role play. Yes. Yes. Live action role play, which is usually there's a lot of different LARPs out there. Um, and honestly, I've never tried them because I've never been really interested in it. But I know a lot of friends that do this along with foam fighting, what we call foam fighting. And it's usually modeled after Dungeons and Dragons, where you have a character sheet and you have a character backstory and all this stuff. And Belagarth and other foam fighting games are more so straight to the point and about just hitting people with <laughs> sticks wrapped in foam. And there's a win condition and a lose condition. You just want to win, right? Yeah. Um, right. That's pretty much what it, it's more akin to like a. I don't know, maybe like a martial art or like boxing or that's something definitely, along those lines. That's definitely yeah. what I felt when I tried it. I was like, this is like an actual workout. Like I'm using my whole body in this and I'm like using my brain to think about, okay, what's my best, you know, way of attack in this moment? It's less like I'm yeah. pretending to be someone I'm not doing this. It's yeah, not and what I thought at all. A lot of new fighters go through that where they like are like, I don't know, you think about sword fighting and you're like, okay, that seems kind of goofy and like that sounds kind of whatever. I'll try it. And then people try it and then they immediately kind of like don't know what to do because they're not used to like hitting somebody else. Yeah, I literally like did not know how to coordinate both my legs and arms at the same time when I first started trying. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely like something really new. And there's also something like, obviously I was talking to our mutual friend, Nick, and he's gotten into it in the last like month or whatever. Like I made him get into it, you know, cause I'm like a Christian missionary about this shit, right? Like <laughs> I want people to come out, like I'm like making flyers and all this stuff. Like it's the only way, because I mean, people, even on the internet, this stuff has such a small niche of people that are into it and the people that are into it i find are like so so into it that they'll show up to like every event and all this stuff but getting new people into it's kind of tough because it's like i'm asking a lot of somebody where it's like hey like go to a public park and hold a sword and a shield and don't (laughs) feel goofy about it and take it seriously and have like fun and try to win 
it's like a kind of a tall ask for most people. I totally get that being as one of the biggest hurdles. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, I would think that would be my biggest hurdle is like looking like I'm LARPing. <laughs> There's kind right. of right, and you know, it's uh, it's definitely weird because it's like honestly, most bystanders that see you are gonna just like be like, oh, they're doing that thing that I saw like on that one fucking comedy movie. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. There was like that one comedy movie like back in the 2000s where they like it was all about LARPing or whatever. And like Peter mm. Dinklish was in it. I can't even remember what the movie was called. But people just have that impression of like what um, sword fighting is. They see that you have like some kind of foam weapons that are like wrapped in cloth and they see you hitting each other. And it's like that's LARP. They're over there like playing pretend or something like that. Right. I um, think for me, I didn't even like feel that when I was there, which was funny because like in my mind, I definitely thought I would. But once I was actually there, like with you guys, it was kind of just like, oh, these are just my friends hanging out and we're doing this. And there was like a group of kids that were watching kind of in awe of it. And then, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the like... only ones who are really going to acknowledge it. <laughs> they want to do it, too. I've had like I ran a group in Middletown a while ago and it was at Veterans Park in Middletown, Connecticut, like before COVID and all this. And like kids would come up to us and be like, yo, like, let us let us like try this. And I'd have to be like, no, I actually like can't because it's like honestly like a serious liability. Like yeah. these things are like padded yeah. and all this stuff. But like serious injuries can happen. The most real injuries that can happen are like hand injuries mm. when you're blocking and stuff like that. It's the same kind of injuries you'd get like playing soccer or football or something like that. It's about the same like level of degree. Like the weapons are padded such that you and like a lot of like over since like 1972 people have been making these mm. and like back then these weapons used to be made out of like pvc and like mattress padding you know what i mean like really yeah. like rinky dink shit and then they'd like put a sock over it <laughs> and like th these old games dagger here uh which is another strange name but that was like the original one that was made this is what all these combat sports are made out of there's a couple ones that i'll talk about later but the one that we play is Belagarth, which is a splinter game that came out of Dagger here. But it was invented in a college campus. And from my knowledge, from my drunken conversation with this guy, Blackhawk, is the guy who invented it. Like, straight up. He was just like, yeah, I'm Sweet. the guy who made it, whatever. And I talked to him at a national event, and he's the dude. Everyone just is like, okay, Blackhawk invented this. He's the guy that did it. I guess that's the understood history of it. <laughs> but anyways, it's come a really long way so far as like knowing what hurts people and what doesn't. Like, for instance, like stabs are legal in our game. But in order for a weapon to be stab legal, there has to be certain, you know, things that pass. Like a weapon cannot have a circumference of less than 2.5 inches and it has to pass a stab check which means that usually there's a special kind of foam that we would put on the end of it that actually compresses more so that a stab doesn't feel more like you're like you're not getting punched in the chest by something. Right. Yeah. I was um, um I was looking at their website actually and they have like a super long rules list that kind of goes over all of the yeah. safety regulations and stuff and like that which is crazy. The combat rules are actually really, really simple. Like, as I described them to you, like, they're very intuitive and easy to understand. It's kind of, uh, the combat rules work like your limbs just get chopped off. And then if you hit a vital place, like the chest or the butt or the hip, you're probably dead. It assumes that you would get chopped in half. But most of the rules are actually around, like, that really, really long list that you'll find on the Belagarth website. Mm. is like mostly covering weapon rules because these weapons are specifically made and designed to be you can hit somebody at a hundred percent force and they should retain no injury from it you know wow. what i mean yeah like no bruises like i've only been bruised a couple times and obviously this depends on how easily you're bruised right but at the end of the day like, the only injury I've sustained is, like, I broke my thumb, and honestly, it was my fault that I did that. <laughs> and then I got bruised in the leg by, like, an eight-foot polearm that probably shouldn't Ow. have been on the field to begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah. What are the different types of weapons, like, foam weapons that are in this? Yeah, so there's a mixture of, like, they, they we like to allow anything within reason. And when I say reason, I mean safety. Um, yeah. So... 
There's, um, essentially, I'll break it down. There's like a polearm class, which we call glaives, which are striking polearm weapons. And anything above six feet long is considered a polearm, essentially. Okay. Um, and these things can hit you like a regular sword, like slash at you and hit you. Obviously, for people listening, I haven't described the rule set yet, but headshots do not count. These, this would not work if headshots counted. Mm. Um, people cannot strike each other in the head freely. That's explicitly prohibited, although it does happen from time to time because people move and you're going to get like hit in the head from time to time. Uh, it usually doesn't hurt really bad unless it's with one of these eight foot pull arms, like a glaive. That definitely really sucks. Gotcha. But I've never seen any serious injury other than, you know, I've heard of a couple of people being concussed by them, Ooh. which is reasonable. It's an eight yeah. foot pull arm. But again, eight foot pull arms are only something you're going to see at like national events. Like at the practice that you went to, people typically don't. It's only something that works when you have numbers, essentially. Yeah. I mean, these national events can get up to thousands of people that are fighting all at the same time concurrently. So we have pull arms, we have things called flails, which have a little, you know, like a rope or a chain and a head of the flail that can hit you. Wow. We have um, great swords, which I think you saw a little bit of when you were at yeah. practice. We had a couple great swords, which are just what they, you know, they're big swords. And those obviously hurt a little bit more uh, as you wield them with two hands, but they're perfectly safe and they won't bruise you. And we have short swords and we have like a variety of different shield types, essentially. And we have spears, which are a form of polearm that do only stabbing damage, essentially. Gotcha. And I know that you told me about how you've seen it at like national events and stuff, that there's also archery involved, which I thought was kind of nuts. Yeah, archery is really, really cool. And it's honestly a different type of archery than like normal archery where you're like just shooting at targets. You're shooting at moving targets and these arrows are built so that they essentially have like what is a pillow cushion in front of the arrow and they're like meticulously built to be safe so that the arrow shaft will not protrude through the arrowhead. So like that's the most dangerous part of this game is honestly arrows and making sure that they're safe. And the weird thing is too about archery is that it's the only thing, projectiles are the only thing that can hit you in the head and count for a kill. And they don't hurt so bad, although they're very jarring to get hit with. But at practices, I typically disallow, at least how I run my practices, people run them differently everywhere. But I pretty much disallow archery unless there's an adjacent archer. Because if you're running, say, like a 4v4, and one of those people in the 4v4 teams has a bow and arrow, it's like a significant disadvantage and honestly not very fun to play against. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much how I run it. We also have different projectiles. Like there's a really, really goofy one called rocks. People will show up <laughs> with foam balls. And this is the only like really goofy thing about the sport where you'll have a foam ball. And there's obviously, like you mentioned before, there's tons of rules about how these have to be constructed. But if you hit someone, they don't do any damage to anything other than the head. And if they hit you in the head, you are dead. And that's it. This is just a rock. It's a rock. It's very silly. Yeah. Um, oh they're disallowed God. in most tournament things because people know how silly they are. But there's also javelins, which are a throwable spear. <laughs> and that's okay. the only other thing that you can hit people in the head with. I would not want to get hit in the head with that. No, no, it's not super <laughs> awesome. It's honestly not. Um, although they've been around for so long that people have just kind of accepted what it is. And especially javelins have very, again, like with the rule book, they're built such that like even like an arrowhead has less foam padding than something like a javelin. Like a javelin has an insane amount of padding on it just to ensure that like, yeah, you're throwing a shaft of like fiberglass or PVC at someone's head. They're pretty <laughs> safe mm. at the yeah. end of the day. Davis, can you paint the picture for us of how a typical skirmish or match looks for your group? Is it... Is there someone refereeing or is it more of an honor system between people who are refereeing themselves? That's actually like a really good question. So the main thing about this game is that it is an honor sport in so far as there's a specific rule stated in most of these games. Some of these games actually have a different rule set as far as what is a quote unquote valid hit. 
But in Belagarth, Dagger here, and Hearthlight, which is like a more niche one, but basically Dagger here is the OG one. So most games follow this philosophy of it has to be hard enough for you to consider that your limb would be reasonably chopped off. Like it would literally, like there is no, essentially there is no slashing damage. Like an actual, how a real sword would work is a lot different than how these gamified swords work. Similarly to how paintball is like not a recreation of military combat, but it is an interpretation of it and a sportified version of it. So that's to say that like, if something kind of grazes, say if you strike my arm and it kind of grazes it and it didn't really, I don't think that it would reasonably chop my entire arm off, <laughs> which is what the game is simulating is like your limbs being severed, right? Yeah. Um, I would be like, I would call light is what I would call. I'd be like, that was a light shot. I don't think it was valid. And you would audibly say that to your other fighter, to your opponent, right? Mm. And some games, specifically Amped Guard, that's spelled A-M-T Guard, G-A-R-D, is a another offshoot of that that actually has a different rule set, whereas a shot is valid as long as it is audible. So it has an audible pop to it, which means that it struck hard enough to make an audible sound. So yeah, these games have slightly different rules in how they work, but most of them work how I described with what they call a sufficient force rule, which is it has to hit me pretty hard. And this is kind of like a honor system, but during tournaments, we do have referees, or as we call them, heralds, <laughs> which is just a more medieval fun term sure. to call them. Um, and they usually wear like yellow uh, cloaks or hoods or something like mm. that at events. Um, so you can easily identify them, but they will tell you like people who have been playing it for long enough to know what a good hit is will straight up tell you like, no, that got you because naturally sometimes it gets a little confusing. Um, even when I've been in tournaments and stuff like this, I have like talked to a herald been like, what did you see? I don't know what I felt and I don't know what was good because it happened when people get really good at this sport, it becomes kind of confusing. So typically between a one-on-one -on -one fight, you would have optimally about three heralds surrounding mm. the circle of that fight, able to see anything and everything that happens. And even when I try to clarify it, like a combatant myself, I'm like, hey, Harold, what did you see? Because I want to trust them as to what they saw, because sometimes things happen so fast that you don't necessarily know. But normally, in normal practices, it's very honor-based. It's um, unlike something like Airsoft, it's actually very, very hard to cheat in a sport like this. Because I felt that I hit you, and I felt that I hit you hard. Yeah. So you would have to blatantly look at me in the eyes and say, no. <laughs> like, so You're it's wrong. pretty... Yeah, it's pretty hard to cheat. And new fighters have a harder time simply because when I explain the sufficient force rule to them, they don't necessarily understand what's good or not yet. So a lot of new fighters will, they'll count anything and everything, like what we would call, there are certain games that are quote unquote lightest touch, which means essentially like, imagine if the sword was a lightsaber and if it touches you, you disintegrate, right? Um, they'll count a shot like that. And I'll be like, no, 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 trust me. That was a light shot. And I would not count that. Do not count that. It was not good. Gotcha. So another thing I'm curious about is, is there, how much of a DIY element is there to the gear and the uh, like costuming that goes on? I guess first I should ask, is there costuming that happens at just typical practices for this group? Yeah, I'll answer both those questions. Both really good questions. One, there is a huge DIY scene in this. I mean, I'm right now learning how to sew. And it's really hard, <laughs> but it's a lot cheaper if I learn how to sew my own stuff. And for national events is where you want to dress up because the philosophy is this, and this varies from game to game, but the philosophy of Belagarth is that I want people in a t-shirt and if they just show up at the park to be like mm. ready to go, like that's all you need. Just be a human being. And it's like, so when they see me in normal human clothing, like modern human clothing, just sword fighting, they can look at me and be like, oh, that's a normal guy just doing that. 
maybe I should go up to that person and ask what the fuck they're doing. Because <laughs> yeah, it yeah. seems kind of fun, right? Yeah. And so that's the philosophy of Belagarth, where they specifically, Belagarth specifically, does not have garb standards for practices and events. So you can show up to a Belagarth event in like Ohio, where there is, you don't have to dress up at all. It's totally fine. Like, you can wear a bandana, you can wear cargo shorts, you can wear jeans. No one gives a fuck. But you'll right. find yourself the odd man out. Where most people are kind of dressed up in like, you know, just kind of like normal tunics. Nothing's too loud. I mean, some people take it a step further and dress kind of more fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Like more like what you'd see at a LARP. But it's really all over the place as far as that's concerned. But for a practice, I specifically ask even, you know, experienced fighters to not dress up for the reason I stated earlier, which is I want to make sure that bystanders feel like they're they can just hop in and like ask me what's going on and then try it because if you show up to a practice fully garbed out like you know you got all this medieval swag on you <laughs> it's more so that a bystander is gonna like look at you and be like oh that's something those people are doing i'm not one of those people do you know what i mean yeah, like yeah us um, versus them situation. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh, those are just like some fucking nerds doing their weird <laughs> nerd shit. Right? Which is like, honestly, what it is. It is like, at the end of the day, sword fighting. It is nerdy. Yeah, it, it's very nerdy. But at the end of the day... It's also cool, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I find it hard because a lot of people will, you know, they'll show up to a practice maybe once or twice. And there'll be people that are honestly looking for a LARP. And then they get hit kind of hard and they're not very good at it, like right off rip. And they kind of will just be like, oh, this isn't really like what I thought it was. I thought this was like a LARP. The niche of people that are really into this are like athletic dorks <laughs> is like really the niche of it. And I think that's why it's had a really hard time gaining a lot of momentum. The only reason this has been a thing for so long is because people who are into it are like really into it. Like, they are super, super dedicated to it. And they try to show up to every event. They take work off. Um, and they show up to every practice. Like, those people are what have, like, kept this thing together since 1972 or whenever Dagger Here was founded. Going off um, from that, how did, how did you get started? Oh, shit. This is kind of a weird one. But um, as you know, Sarah, I've talked to you about this before. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Iowa for a long time. And my dad worked in IT, so naturally he knows a lot of dorks. All of his friends are nerd dorks who like played Eve Online and like RuneScape. Oh you know what God. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of his dork friends was like, hey, you should come out. We do this thing called Belagarth. We do it every whatever day, Sunday probably, at this park. And so he actually brought me along with him because he was like, I'm going to this like sword fighting thing. It sounds awesome. Doesn't that sound cool? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds sick. Cause I was like 11 and I'm like, that sounds fucking dope. I'm going to go. Yeah. And I went there and like, it was like amazing. Like when I was 11, it like blew my mind. I was like, this is the sickest shit because like I grew up again with my dad. who's like, I was into all this like nerd shit, like really early. You know what I mean? Like my dad played magic, the gathering, he played D and D. He played um, Heroes of Might and Magic, like all that bullshit, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, and then I was like, dude, this is fucking sick. I get to like do this for real. And that yeah. like had me so stoked as like, I don't know, you can imagine being an 11 year old boy and how fucking cool that is. Yeah, you're like and bringing that thing that you like, you know, dream about to like actual real life a little bit. Yeah. And it was like amazing. And the only other thing I had was like skateboarding at that time. And those were the two things that I <laughs> fucked with. And that's kind of been it. I mean, but yeah, that's when I was exposed to it. Uh, like I said, it's been around for a long time, but there isn't a lot of like in the age of um, social media, it doesn't really translate to social media very well. Like there's not like a lot of content you can create about it. Mm. It's kind of a thing that you, you have to see in person and do in person to actually understand how it is. Like there's yeah. a couple YouTubers that will film themselves doing it, but it really doesn't capture what you're doing, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, it kind of just looks more like LARP than it actually really feels like, essentially. And there's certain actually there's a couple channels that are like they do a really good job of actually showing it, but they don't advertise it at all. Like it's it's a thing that's very, very hard to advertise. 
When you when you came to Connecticut, how did you find a group here? Another really good question. There's actually a guy, shout out Brogar or Tim. His name is game <laughs> also I should say. There are game there are game names and unlike LARP, it's not it, it is your character name, but really it's more like a uh, people treat it more like a gamer tag on Xbox Live, right? Yeah. Where it's like it's always kind of silly. Like my game name is Slav uh. because I chose <laughs> it when yeah. I was 16 and it was like mm -hmm. funny. And that's what people know me as now, and I can never change it. Like, I'll show up to events, and people are like, yo, what up, Slav? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. Like, I, that's my <laughs> name. I, I can't change it, right? Like, there's certain people that don't know my real name. They just know me as that name. So that's what it is. You pick once, and that's it. But anyway, shout out to Brogar. This guy is the fucking man. And he was running practices in Norwalk around 2017 to like 2019, something like that. Maybe even before, before I even like was like, oh, hey, remember that thing I used to do when I was 11? Maybe I should see if it's in Connecticut. He was probably doing it before then too. But this guy would run these practices out in Norwalk and I'd drive close to, I was living in Old Lyme at the time and I'd drive after work every week to go out there and he would always be out there he had like a banner made out he had a table where people could register for national events he ran it like really really legit and he was really really skilled and he would go out and post flyers at local game shops like tabletop game shops and magic the gathering places all that kind of shit right and wherever this guy goes, he builds a following of people, like new players that do it. Like right now, he's in North Carolina. And I think upon him moving to North Carolina, he like built up a, like a really solid player base within like a month because wow. he's so militant about it and he's so fucking passionate. But yeah, shout out to Brogar. He also like when I was a bum, he carded me out to multiple national events for free. Wow. And would just bring my ass there. And like even I had like no tent, no camping gear, like no nothing. And he would like take care of me. So shout out Brogar and also shout out his girlfriend and also now wife, Haley. Shout out Haley. She was also very, very nice to me when I was a young uh, a young punk. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. So that was what you found in Connecticut. Um, were there other groups at the time? Are there other groups now? Do you know of other ones like in New England? Yeah. So there's a couple groups, but firstly, what I'll say about that is that the foam fighting in general is a lot bigger in places where there's not so much recreational opportunity. So that makes sense. Like, for instance, like I found out about it in the Midwest yeah. and in the Midwest, foam fighting comparative to here in New England is massive. Like, it's like something I can only dream of out there for me. Anyways, it's still like comparatively to like normal activities, very niche. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like it's very popular in the Midwest and it's very popular down south and even some places in the Northwest. But there's a couple other groups that run it. I also want to give a shout out to you met John at the last practice. He shows up yeah. to my practices as well. He runs a group out in Shelton, Connecticut called CT Battle. And CT Battle is a cross gaming, what you would call cross gaming group where they run Hearthlight Rules, which is a separate game that's very, very similar to Belagarth and Dagger here. It's mostly cultural differences, but I go out to their practices as well, and he's been holding it down for the last two years. He's extremely dedicated, so shout out to John, or his game name, Sliver. Uh, that dude <laughs> oh, rocks. Yeah. He's been holding it down. Um, and that's, you said that's in Shelton on what day? It's in Shelton on Sundays, and I believe he starts it at 1 p.m. Gotcha, cool. Um, although you can show up at any time. We're usually there from 1 p.m. to whenever the fuck we get tired. Yeah. <laughs> Which is around five to six around that. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the same for your group too, which meets at, um, uh, in Plainville. Yeah. We meet at uh, CT Belagarth meets in Norton Park in Plainville, Connecticut, which is like just about right in the middle of the state. It's a really nice park. And we meet up at noon. But I mean, even me, I'm the guy who runs it. I show up a little bit late sometimes. And uh, it's typically noon to whenever the fuck we get tired. It really just depends <laughs> on how nice it is outside and how. It's so great to hear how inviting of a community this seems to be. And I really 
think it's awesome that the barrier to entry is always being taken out of the way like what you're saying about like no no one has to get dressed up you can kind of just come as you are and participate yeah i mean i also i have like loner gear like i was showing sarah that at the last practice like i have loner gear so like i've funded this all out of pocket but i have fully competitive kits for people to rock like just out of pocket i bought it from a guy called gorg the blacksmith he's the guy who actually if anybody's interested in what the weapons look like specifically and what we're actually fighting with, you should look up Gorg the Blacksmith, either on Etsy or he has his own website called gorgtech.com. That's G-O-R-G tech.com. And he sells it, but he made me a bunch of loner stuff and I put a bunch of stuff together myself. Again, I said it's very DIY friendly, but you kind of have to know the sport before getting into making your own stuff. You have to understand how it works before you can actually make your own stuff and like deconstruct some gear that's broken down over time. And then you can see how it's made. Like back in when I was hosting those practices in Middletown, I had some people show up with some really fucking haggard gear. People who'd like just gotten into it and essentially what they would do is like, you know, put like a fucking pool noodle on a piece of PVC (laughs) And I'd be like, no, this is going to break like in the next hour. And when something breaks is when something is dangerous. At the end of the day, there's like a rigid core in these, right? Like a PVC pipe or a piece of fiberglass, a piece of graphite or a shaft of carbon, something like that. And if that actually, if the foam shears away from that core, you're essentially just hitting somebody with a piece, like a rod. Yeah. <laughs> and it which sucks. Is not fun. <laughs> which is why I check all weapons. There's like a, you know, there's something you have to do before every practice, which is check people's weapons. It's called weapon check. And you just make sure that everything is suitable to be used for the day. Like if I think something is like made so badly that I have to fail it, that kind of sucks because I'm telling somebody who's like, enthusiastic about making their own thing they probably spent hours on it and i have to be like no i'm sorry i think this is gonna hurt somebody um somebody who's like enthusiastic about like going to practice and i have to tell them like no i'm sorry like you can't use this it's really dangerous like um that always fucking sucks i think everyone would rather you be thorough though (laughs) rather that than everyone smacking each other with pvc pipes (laughs) yeah absolutely but yeah, again, and and some people coming from like people who are used to like LARP groups, their weapon standards are way different, mm. like completely different because they play lightest touch. It's specifically against the rules to hit somebody hard right. in those games like LARP, like actual LARP groups that do that because they have weapons that are I'm sure you may have seen them like they're made of like latex and they look quote unquote like real weapons but they hit really hard. They're very, very rigid, which is to say that like in a combat game like ours, where you're supposed to be able to hit somebody as hard as you'd want to, are specifically disallowed. Like our weapons have to be covered in cloth. They have to meet certain dimensions that are like, quote unquote, not realistic to real weaponry. But we do that to ensure that like nobody is getting hit with a fiberglass rod. Because that sucks. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? So... Well, I think that that's all of our questions. Yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, all right. Can you oh, yeah. quickly plug the, your sort of socials or any resources that would help people get affiliated with your group? Yeah, of course. Um, first things first, if you're looking up Bellegarth or what it is, it is spelled B-E-L-E-Garth, G-A-R-T-H. And you can look up their website, bellegarth.com, for any info on what the actual game is about. It's a national organization that's run democratically. Um, if you're in Connecticut, and specifically listen to this, even if you're in Massachusetts, you can come down. Uh, we are Connecticut Bellegarth. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Connecticut Bellegarth. Also, I'd like to plug CT Battle, which is like a sister organization of us, where they run Hearthlight Practices, which is a very, very similar game. You can find them at facebook.com slash CT Battle. And yeah, that's it. That's the plug. <laughs> Great. Sweet. Do we have anything else to talk about? I don't, I don't think know. so. I'm not going to announce when I come to this. I'm just going to be the one who shows up with a bunch of uh, rocks. <laughs> chucking them at heads. Hell yeah. I think yeah. that's got to be my, my main. That's a, that's the type of guy we call them cavemen. <laughs> yeah. 
That's a thing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, primitive. Love the yeah. rock metal. Oh my god. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's a real thing. It's a pain in the ass, honestly. I hate it. But yeah, it's a thing for sure. It's Hell yeah. Thing. Thanks again, Davis. This has been great. Yeah, of course. Yeah, anytime. I'm super yeah, glad to this be able is to great. do it. Hell yeah. I'm stoked to have included it. Yeah. Already, yeah. Thanks again for you guys having me. I really appreciate it. All right, now it's time for the up-and-coming events in New England. What you should go do or see or experience. Anything good, Sarah? Yes, actually. Uh, on September 2nd, 2023, there is a hardcore flea market happening in Worcester, Massachusetts. This will be a few bands that are playing and a bunch of vendors that are coming. It's at Ralph's Rock Diner in Worcester, as I said. Uh, the market opens at two. The show starts at four. There's a bunch of different vendors that are there, both music related and just art related. Adrian, Exide, Wreckage, Balmora, just some of the bands that are playing. The list of vendors is very long, so I'm not going to go through all of it, but definitely check it out. If you go to Gatekeeper Jam on Instagram, you can see the flyer on there. Sounds great. And then um, the weekend of... September 7th to the 10th, so that's a Thursday to a Sunday. Also in Massachusetts, this is in Marlboro, is the Pintastic Pinball Convention and Game Room Expo. This is a yearly convention for pinball players. There's a huge room of free play games. I don't even actually know how many there are. Oh, 147. Whoa. There's 147 games that are on free play. Um, and in addition, there's tournaments going on. There's a women's tournament, which I think already is filled. I'm not 100% sure, but there is a room that's dedicated to the, the bells is what they're called. The main tournament is from the Thursday to the Saturday, which is already like full of contestants, but it is fun to watch some of literally the best players playing against each other. It's called the Silver Ball Rumble, and it's actually run by the Sanctum, which is the pinball club that I go to in Connecticut based in Meriden. Uh, definitely cool to watch these players go head-to-head -head at each other. Usually it's also live-streamed on Twitch. The hotel that it's hosted in is it's a new host for the convention, so I think that this year will be very interesting because it's going to be in a new location. All of the rooms for that weekend, as far as I know, are filled in that hotel, but there's a bunch of hotels around the area if you choose to want to make like a weekend out of it, if you think that it's cool and have nothing going on, definitely do it. I have a lot of fun every year. This year, I'm only going Friday night into like Saturday day, but yeah, the, the tickets aren't super expensive. Friday, it's 30 bucks. That's pretty good. Saturday is 35 because it's obviously like the day that most of the people are going to be wanting to go. But then there's like weekend passes and stuff that you can get to. But yeah, definitely a cool thing. Marlboro, Massachusetts, Pintastic Pinball Convention at the Best Western Royal Plaza Hotel. Sounds great. Well, that's everything that we have for this week. Thank you so much if you tuned in. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at TNNEpod and comment on our posts or something. I don't know. That's the only social media that we have right now. You could also send us an email if you so please, if there's something that you want to tell us about. But I think that everyone that listens to this, we personally know already. So <laughs> you're still welcome at this point. Us. This is episode two. <laughs> yeah. You can email us at the new new Englanders at gmail.com. Um, just don't send us any hate mail. Okay. Also, please check out Davis's pages and the page for the Bellagarth group yeah that's on facebook so make sure to go check that out yeah thank you so much we'll see you next time bye <laughs> we love you <laughs> what?